Welcome to another episode of Pat and the Fat Man. Today we're going to be talking about the same thing we always talk about. Movies and sports and other random stuff that we feel like talking about. I'm Pat. And I'm the Fat Man, otherwise known as Bruce. So this episode we're going to talk about the Matrix Revolutions. Which I believe was one year after Matrix Reloaded. According to IMDb, they were released in the same year. Okay. I remember them being pretty close on the heels of each other. I just didn't remember how close. All right, so let's get overall impressions. Uh, Oh, yeah, so I've got a caveat I've got to give. My DVD apparently is scratched. So there were maybe 20 minutes of film that I did not see. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I had kind of forgotten about that, and then I remembered after it started skipping. (laughs) (laughs) And it's in kind of like the very middle of the film Mm -hmm. is where I miss out. So, yeah. So, first impressions from the Fat Man. Obviously, it would be the number two movie if we were to rank them. Better than the second movie, but not quite as good as the first. It looks like they went back to more practical effects and more practical fight scenes. It, it was like they took a Nielsen's rating of the second movie and went, okay, so we're going to go back to what we did before. <laughs> Pacing was fine. Story was fine. I think as far as romance, it kind of suffered from a George Lucas-like romance kind of thing. (laughs) But otherwise, you know, it was pretty okay. To me, one of the things that now that I've paid more attention to the story, it's a lot less mystical, and uh, I have a lot more questions as to how certain things happen, because now... I realized that Neo is a program. He's been he as the one that program as the one has been around before, and they've been through this rigmarole before. Yeah, yeah. So now there's a lot of other questions of like, well, that just raises further questions. Yes, right. You're, you're kind of latching on to my problem in the second movie, which is like, what the does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean the source is part of him? He's a what did. <laughs> Can't he just like rewrite anything he wants? Why? Why is he still going through the physics of this place? <laughs> yes. All right. So I will go ahead and wholeheartedly disagree with you. In my ranking, this is actually number three. Wow. The reason it is number three is because my overall view of the Matrix movies is as a series of action flicks that has some philosophy sprinkled in, and or 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 sometimes dives pretty deep into some of it. But it, it they're action movies, and as far as action movies goes the second one was a better one than this one outside of that this story obviously the third one hangs uh, together a lot better uh, you don't have the super awkward uh, orgy rave in the center of the earth. <laughs> There's no, you know, super awkwardness. Although, like you say, the romantic elements appear to be directed by George Lucas <laughs> faster with more intensity. But I really, you know, I think that's just Neo. Well, not Neo, you know. So the, the one thing that kind of stood out to me as far as that was concerned was when Trinity shows up at the, the train station and they run into each other and they hug and it was just like this really awkward blocky kind of hug mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was it was like they were trying not to hurt each other and at the same time like not hold each other so tight and i was like hmm <laughs> yeah part of me thinks that was due to some of the clothes they were wearing it was like this is just stupid trinity's <laughs> still wearing her stupidest outfit ever the pleather and it's just terrible and awful and it doesn't look right and she doesn't move right in it either I, I just thought it fit her better in this one for some reason like the other one like really hung off of her you know mm-hmm. like a fat person 
gone thin. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, as far as the George Lucas loves kind of stuff, that was that was a bit more of it. I mean, it got a little better at the final scene, but not a whole lot. You know, I really think that's more of the guy who plays Neo. Keanu Reeves is probably a director going, well, this is probably the best we're going to get. Let's move on. <laughs> Well, this is the most sober we've seen him. <laughs> Did Pog Guy not show up? I mean, did we luck out? <laughs> yeah, okay, so let's take us through the movie. How did it start? Oh, shit. He asked me what I, from something that was like two hours ago, three hours ago. Yeah, and this is like two weeks ago for me, and I literally can't remember how it's. Oh, good job, Pat. You're doing a great job as a podcaster reviewing movies. You forgot the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> More or less, it starts with, uh, I guess, Neo just waking up in the train station. Is that how it starts? <laughs> That's how memorable the start of this this show is. I suppose, like, the, the more important part. I mean, no, okay, so, no, it starts off with them in, not the Nebuchadnezzar, the other ship. Yeah, because the Nebuchadnezzar's been exploded. Right. After Morpheus quotes the poem Xanadu, at least I think that's the poem he's quoting, and then he get, he watches his ship get exploded, which is sad for everybody. They go on the other, other ship. Right. Because it's, it's, I can't remember the name of the captain on that ship, but it's not Naomi's ship either. The, the ship was, like, the Hammer, I believe. Yes. Yeah, no. Well, it wasn't Naomi's ship. It was uh, like Captain Hubbard or something. But it starts out there. Neo's in the infirmary because he passed out. Uh, the guy that Agent Smith possessed is also in the infirmary, and they're kind of going over their options. Oh yeah, yeah. She she ta- the doctor lady talks about how she's seen the brain waves all the time, and that they're the brain waves of people in the Matrix. Right. And then you get the well, how could that be? And you're kind of like, really? At this point, you're questioning any of this? I mean, come on. <laughs> Yeah, the the belief disbelief you know ratio here is is, is a little erratic and, and yeah, you're just like what the hell, guys. <laughs> I mean, he he literally just like downed a couple sentinels by putting his hand up and concentrating. So at okay, <laughs> he's broadcasted himself into the matrix, but not really the matrix. Like, and that's kind of the weird part, because I think from there, don't we go back into the Matrix with Neo? Yeah, and then he's in the train station where he's between worlds, quote-unquote. So we get into kind of a philosophical conversation with the programs. The programs talk about the fact that they... So, you know, up to this point, you, you have a viewpoint of the machines and the you know the program, the Matrix world, whatever. Like, you know, everybody's working together, right? All the machines are bad and they all hate humans and they're all working together to kill all humans, right? Mm-hmm. In serious Bender style. Hey, baby, you want to kill all humans? <laughs> all these zeros and ones. I think I saw a two. <laughs> it's okay, Bender. There's no such thing as two. <laughs> <laughs> so... So you you get the the viewpoint that we kind of learned okay yeah there's programs that screw with each other and there there's the Merovingian and his lot and there's programs who don't want to go back to the source you kind of learn what that means and more or less from a program's perspective that means death well deleted I mean in this particular case he said deleted and they don't want that so it's an interesting I don't know what you call it you have a self preservation suddenly inside of these machines and in or inside the programs i guess because i guess they're sort of different so you have this in-between world 
where the train man takes programs from the machine world and sticks them into the matrix to hide them. Right. Which is interesting. So I guess you have to get a license when you're uh, two machines that fall in love and you want to write a program together. I guess you have to get a license for that. <laughs> because if you do it illegally, you have to hide that program in the matrix. Well, okay. So it wasn't really explained until you kind of get the idea in this one and it kind of is that the matrix and the rest of the machines are two separate things. <laughs> yes. The matrix is just this one, you know, simulated world. Yeah. That exists over here in the corner. Well, I, you know, it's that's kind of like people flipping their lights on and off and not really realizing there's a power plant somewhere <laughs> that's, that's making my electricity. Right. <laughs> that's kind of exactly what this is. <laughs> it only drives further questions, though, about the, the whole logic using that system, you know? Yes. Again, why aren't we just using cold fusion by itself? <laughs> <laughs> If you really want to dive deep into this thing, why do humans have to be conscious at all? You can keep a human being unconscious and fed and alive for a long time without having to stimulate the brain. Yeah, you can just keep them in a coma. Right. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Man, machines are stupid. (laughs) What do you mean we don't need a system of control or this super fancy world where we try and give the humans a good life? No, no, just just keep them in a coma. Well, it just seems kind of counterproductive, seeing as how you want to kill them anyways for having the free will to begin with. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know, maybe when their brain's active, they make more bioenergy? I think that's probably the only conceit I can come up with to explain that. And even then, it depends on the I believe button of we need human body heat anyways. Right. Which is honestly way more believable if Morpheus had never mentioned cold fusion. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's even compounded by the fact that it was believed that they survived on solar power. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, later on in the movie, when they break through the clouds and there's a clear blue sky, you're just like, so these machines that have all this time have not found a way to get rid of the nuclear radiation and, and the nuclear winter and cloud, you know, all that weather crap to clean the air. So that way they can get the solar power and not need the humans at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but what the hell? You've got all this technology. You do all this crazy stuff, and you went out of your way to make, you know, spider-slash-squid-looking, you know, drones, but you couldn't clean the air. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe they're just stupid. They can't think outside the box because they're machine. That's where we're at. And I suppose, really, since we're here at the end, we can look back on it now all these years and go, damn. There are a lot more plot holes than I really let myself think about when I was, you know, 15 years old. Right. And so now I think you realize why I view this as an action movie. <laughs> that has some philosophy sprinkled in. Because the reality is the plot holes are pretty damn gaping. <laughs> So here's the thing about the action sequence was, like, okay, the big fight, the, the Neo and Agent Smith, Smith fight. The, the Neo and the Matrix Smith. The thing was, is when that thing started, I went, oh, God, here we go. Because <laughs> I was having flashbacks, PTSD from the second movie of this fight just isn't going to end. And why are we still here? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, I'll grant you it was it was better. It was, again, more reminiscent of the first movie. But I just I saw it start and was like, Ugh, here we go. <laughs> Strap in. It's going to be a long time, but I know we're skipping yeah, ahead. We jumped way too far. <laughs> like we literally jumped the whole movie. <laughs> so we went from the first scene to the last scene. Okay. 
So the train man. Okay, so philosophical conversation with the programs happens. We learn that programs have babies somehow and that babies aren't allowed somehow <laughs> and that you've got to hide them in the matrix. Okay, fine. All right, all that accepted. Well, it's it's kind of more of like a China scenario, you know? And you got to be a productive member of society. Otherwise, we just got to get rid of you, you know? Yeah, but otherwise, we kept you ass. <laughs> <laughs> so Neo's in there and he doesn't just, you know, bust out of there or use his superpowers. Right, because apparently his superpowers don't work in the in-between world because the other program created it. Yeah. You know, not that Neo's not the super hacker program. Yeah, not that he isn't, like, you know, effectively God in the Matrix and also in the machine world. So both of the places that this place is in between, he can do anything he wants, but not in here. Not this little <laughs> tiny you know, train station. Yes. Because another program made it. Yeah, and it has to be connected to the other sides on both sides. Okay, I, I get that it could be looped, you know, because he runs, and which is a hilarious scene. Don't get me wrong, I laugh every time I see it. I felt better the fact that he only did it once. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, if he had done it more than once, he'd have been like, oh, okay, we hit stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, how Neo is Neo going to be at this moment? (laughs) (laughs) Are we really going to Neo this up? And I could get that. I could get that it gets disconnected, but it just feels like he should be able to take on the train man when he shows up. I mean, again, all this is stemming from seeing all the really interesting things he did at the end of the first movie. Mm -hmm. You know, he was kind of showing off in the second movie, but really, as the the last two movies progress, you're just like, I don't get it. Either he is all-powerful or he's not. This whole, you know, pick and choose thing. (laughs) Yeah, and and so that's what I said, like, in the second movie, by the time you're about halfway through the movie, you either have to accept that he's not all-powerful and that pretty much the final set of scenes in the first movie never happened (laughs) (laughs) or it just all gets too stupid (laughs) because i'm willing i'm willing to you know erase parts of films in order to enjoy the action sequences (laughs) i just i just kind of consider consider him okay so he's not all powerful he's he's limited even though he more or less is all powerful once we get to the end of the movie anyways Okay, so after that, there is the scene with the train man where they try and catch the train man, right. which is a fun chase scene. I enjoyed the kind of like him wearing like 40 watches. and I thought it was kind of stupid that he was able to hold them up with like one six shooter gun. I thought that was kind of dumb. <laughs> right. It's sort of like, why are you even stopping running? <laughs> you guys have taken down small armies of agents and all these other things, but a man with a six shooter and many watches. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he totally schools your ass. <laughs> and and this is the crazy thing. He's like he's not even running very well. He's like half assed running, and they're like running at, at like full on super speed. <laughs> and like he stops and then shoots and then hunkers down <laughs> and then shoots. And I'm like, this whole time, aren't they running? Like how how have they not caught up to him? How are they losing ground? This doesn't make any sense <laughs> but you know other, other than that the logical issues with it it was it was a fun you know chase scene yeah and then the scene that came after the second meeting with the merovingian was also entertaining if you take away the fact that if you were the merovingian you just would have shot him on side i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean you got you know a couple hundred people surrounding three and you, you know your whole attachment to other beings isn't exactly what we would call you know you don't have any attachment feelings <laughs> to other people. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I thought the uh, the action sequence in the before the elevator, 
mm-hmm. was a little fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a little fun. And then the after the elevator action sequence was fun. Yep. Again, very reminiscent of the scene towards the end of the first movie. Although, it, and honestly, and I think it was probably the music. It was definitely not as good. Mm-hmm. The action sequence at the end of the first movie was way better. But yes, you are correct. It, it is almost directly reminiscent of that. But yeah, I know. I, I kind of think the beginning or the, the first half of that Merovingian scene would have gone about like it did. But I think you're right. I think he would have just killed them. I mean, he came in there, fully messed up your, your crib the last time. Yeah. Got your quote unquote wife to turn on him. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> You know, who's still sitting next to him when this is all said and done. Yeah, I don't know. It sort of plays into the possibility that he understands what's going on with Smith. You know, he's been through this whole process before. So likely he was expecting a reboot, right? Uh, he was probably hunkered down somewhere in some storage box or something. And when the Matrix didn't reboot, he I don't know if he if he actually knows what's going on at that point. Yeah, do you get what I'm saying? I guess. Not really. <laughs> okay, so the Merovingian recognizes what Neo is, right? Right. In the second movie, he recognizes he's, he is uh, the one. Okay. And so because of that, he knows what's going to happen, right? Uh-huh. They, they, this, you know, we learned from the architect that this, this has happened six times before, right? Right. And the Merovingian has made it through the reboot six times, so he's figured out how to do that. Right? Right. Because otherwise he'd be a rebooted program and he wouldn't remember or, or, or whatever the hell happens to rebooted programs in this movie <laughs> world. Right. So theoretically, he knows that once Neo and the and the gang get the key maker, that, you know, we're going for reboot, folks. And so it's time to hunker down. And then the reboot doesn't happen. So what's the Merovingian thinking at this point? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and given that, you know, his... I guess power base is is all centered around information. He likely knows the whole Smith scenario or this the Smith what's going on. Mm. Like that this basically virus program who was as, as an agent is slowly taking over everybody. Right. <laughs> and so you know, I kind of feel like he's just trying to get out of them whatever he can without showing his cards that he knows that Neo needs to get back in the game, otherwise they're all screwed. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I think he, you know, if we're going to put ourselves in his shoes, he understands how to make it through a reboot and to avoid, quote-unquote, the authorities. He probably has a lot more questions about this rogue agent virus program, and he doesn't know if he can survive that. And, you know, we, in fact, see that he doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) You know, everybody gets taken over by Smith, as far as we can tell. Right. If you want to look for a logical reason for that scene going away, it did i think that's the reason because you know in the end the merovingian is a uh well he's a coward but he's also uh french uh self-preservationist yeah <laughs> uh yeah we'll just say self-preservationist <laughs> so that's what he's going for so that's i think why he agrees to let the train man let neo out well that the gun to his head yeah that too but i think that was the okay i have to show my cards now because otherwise I think he could have found another way out of it. I don't know. Or he would have just lied. <laughs> He'd be like, yeah, I'll do what you say. And then once they take the gun off of him, they just kill him. Right. Because it appears that, you know, maybe one program has a sense of honor, but the other ones, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's the thought process behind the Merovingian scene. And then they go get Neo. Yep. Super awkward reunion, like you were saying. And then they pull him out. Oh, he goes and talks to the Oracle. Right. Who is a different 
actress. Right, which they explained by saying that it was the Merovingian who killed her. That was probably, that was a good sidestep. You know, I think the original actress died of cancer, if I remember correctly. Right. So, sometimes that happens. I think it happened in Harry Potter. Yes. The original guy died before the fourth movie or fifth movie? Uh, I'll look. Yeah. Either way. Didn't he replace him with Ian McKellen? I don't remember. No, it wasn't Ian McKellen. He replaced him with somebody else. But, but talks to the Oracle. I thought, I thought the actress did a good job. Mm-hmm. Kind of bringing in as many of the mannerisms that had, you know, the Oracle's way of being from the other actress. It was still awkward having a different person. Yeah, but I mean, that was going to happen anyway, so you weren't going to be able to have the story you wanted without without the Oracle. Right. So I'm trying to remember what she, what did she give to Neo in that scene? Basically, that more or less that, you know, this is all about choices and choices have consequences and that you're just going to have to make one like as you've always done before and that any information that I didn't give you was because you didn't ask for it. Because he's still, at this point, he's still trying to figure out how to save the world, more or less. Well, he's more like, you know, he's asking why didn't you tell me about this? Why didn't you tell me about that? You know, you knew all this stuff, right? And she's like, yeah, I knew, but you didn't ask, so I didn't need to tell you. Yeah, and she also uses that, you know, I can't see past the choices I don't understand. Right. And she says none of us can. Right. And then gives him the the keyword, which becomes important later, that everything that has a beginning has an end. Right. Which I believe is her answer to his question of why. Why help him in the first place? Mm -hmm. And why steer him on this path away from the continual cycle of matrixness? I believe that is her answer. Everything that has a beginning has an end. Yes, that was her answer. And then, don't we go to Zion from there? Yeah, mostly to talk about the machines that are coming, the war preparations, and all stuff like that, and the Supreme Commander or whatever, and his annoying yet inept plans. I don't know if they were inept. Well, I mean, he spends an, an undue amount of time complaining about things that can't be changed ah yes that is definitely true and just being overly pessimistic and it's like well i sure hope you don't talk to the troops like that because then what's the point (laughs) yeah and you're all gonna die (laughs) yeah and we see that oh what's his name the guy who's the operator on the debuchanizer in the second movie his wife or girlfriend is right. like making shells and yeah she's joining the volunteer corps mm-hmm. and the little kid has joined the other you know the other volunteer corps and unfortunately this is about in the movie where my stuff starts to kick out ah. so i miss about the next 20 minutes so my understanding is my remembrance old old remembrance is neo more or less convinces them to give him Naomi's ship. Right. And they all jump on the other guy's ship. And him and Trin go off to the source, so that way they can talk, convince him not to attack the humans, so that way he can, t- in exchange for him defeating Agent Smith, because Smith is a basically a virus at this point that the Matrix and the source can't contain, but he knows he can. Mm-hmm. So he's hoping that'll be the sticky wicket for which will save the human race. Yeah, and uh, Smith takes over um, the Oracle. Right. And then you get to see it in the Matrix version where everything, all the wind is going and, and light shining and he takes off the glasses and laughs maniacally. <laughs> Which honestly, given his later roles, I think that's the scene that spoils them the most. <laughs> it's just hard to watch Elrond 
in uh, the Lord of the Rings after seeing that scene. Because <laughs> him smiling like that, you're like, that is just not him. Like, I can't picture him smiling. It's just, yeah. you know, you know what it's like? It's exactly like the, the Muppets movie with Tex Richmond. Mm -hmm. Like how he can't laugh maniacally, so he has to go maniacal laugh. laugh. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> That's a maniacal laugh. <laughs> Yeah, and so after that is pretty much where it starts to cut out on me. Start drilling through, the, the machines start drilling through. Did you catch most of the fight in the dock? Oh yeah, I caught all that. I come back before that. Oh, okay. Right before that. Basically where I come into it, Neo is blind. He already had the fight with extra Matrix Agent Smith. <laughs> right. <laughs> possessed Agent Smith. <laughs> yes, possessed Agent Smith. So he has been he has been blinded, he has been turned into the blind oracle. Right. Which is both a reference to ancient history and to potential future, aka the, the Dune series. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul specifically being the blind seer out in the desert. Because it uh it is just such a direct allegory to Paul Atreides from Dune. It's ridiculous. I got through part of that book. I still need to pick up the rest of it. Well, he doesn't go blind until like book three, maybe two. Ah, so that's like ten years down the line. So he goes blind somewhere in two, and then in three, uh, basically someone sets off a nuclear bomb on Arrakis, and he's like in seeing distance, and he just, he looks at it. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes blind. But at that point, he's a Kwisatz Haderach, so he can see the future. And then he wanders off into the desert, and he comes back later in, in book three. Nobody's actually sure it's him or not, but yeah. So, blind seer, you know, all the blind seers in history are oracles and whatnot. So, yet another tie-in. I do not know where I was going with that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, on Naomi's ship, yeah, Trin and Neo, they fight off the other Smith. Neo's blind, so that's all that happens there. Uh, Naomi takes over the th uh, the hammer and starts driving it like crazy. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun scene. That was definitely a fun chase scene. She's driving it all over. And you know, hilariously, or maybe not, I don't know, but the visual effects from that scene are, to me, very similar like the visual effects from the first movie. Mm -hmm. They don't seem like cheesy. Right. Whereas the visual effects from the second movie did. Right, that's what I'm saying. This movie, they, they seem to have brought back a lot more of the practical effects. Yeah, and so that, that was just a fun chase scene with them running back to the back and shooting TIE fighters. Don't get cocky, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi driving it like, no, nah, that's in Morpheus, you know, kind of uh, what am I doing? <laughs> Keep up, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> I didn't know she could do that. <laughs> So that was super fun. The uh, the dock scene. So you have them, the, the first drill comes through and they start just wailing away at the bug monsters. Squiddies. Squiddies, yeah. The sentinels and then that shooting them and they're slowly escaping from the shooting and then eventually the whole horde of them comes in and they're like, oh crap. <laughs> right. This is where the Supreme Commander kind of annoys me because like all this stuff is happening and they're doing the best that they can and the kid gets his, you know, heroic moment by opening the door mm -hmm. and the thing that they needed to get done gets done. They, they were able to set off the EMP, right? Yeah. Because somewhere in that scene, the guy tells the Supreme Commander, we've lost the dock before the ship even shows up. Yeah. He's like, we're, we're going to have to retreat anyways, you know? We've lost the dock. And you can see his luck. He's like, yeah, he's right. <laughs> well, I mean, by the time the kid has his scene, right, he's like the only, he's like one of like three mechs still standing. Right. The tower's gone and it's huge guns. They're all gone. Right. And you have a couple of people on the ground who have the um, the little bombs who are trying to take out the, the drills 
But that's it. Like, there's nobody left, guys. You right. So then when they set off the EMP and they, they come out of the ship and the guy's, like, trying to berate them, and they're like, didn't we just save everybody? Like, oh, no, you just served up the dock on a silver platter. We're like, they, they, you, you lost the dock anyways. What are you bitching yeah. at them for? Yeah, the dock was gone. <laughs> the dock was already gone. <laughs> and then, you know, right after that, Captain Sunshine is in front of the council telling them that they're all doomed. It was like, who put this man in charge? <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna die, honkies. <laughs> Was this guy a former head coach of the Cleveland Browns? What happened? <laughs> Was that what you did when you were in the Matrix? Are you a coach for someone from Cleveland? The Indians, the Browns, the Cavs, somebody? <laughs> For our viewers who don't know, the fat man is a Cleveland sports fan, so I can make these jokes. <laughs> you know, I'm a minor Cleveland fan. I will, in general, always root for the Browns because they are almost always the underdog. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll root for the Indians unless they're playing the uh, the Rangers or the Astros. So, I, you know. So, yeah, Captain Sunshine saying that they're doomed. And it was just like, come on, somebody throw up high. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be afraid to throw some, to do some comedy while you're doing some. <laughs> Somebody throw a freaking pie. <laughs> you know, I, you know what I thought was like just so super stupid was, yeah, okay, you lost the dock, which is obviously somewhere above this whole gigantic shaft of living quarters, right? Mm-hmm. That you could mine with either regular explosives or... Or EMPs. And you could just mine it all the way down, this gigantic shaft. You could have totally effed all of those machines in the A. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It would have not taken much of an actual planning to do it. You know, the funnier part, too, is they were talking about, like, blowing the the shafts and whatnot. It was like, well, clearly those weren't your lifelines anyways. You got all everything from, you know, even beneath you. The water, the food, everything else. So everything else was access to the surface, which once the machines were gone, you could have dug your way out of. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't get that whole like, oh, we're going to make a last stand at the temple. I'm like, no, why aren't you blowing them up as you go? <laughs> so that's how a shooting retreat is supposed to work. Study history, damn it. <laughs> but I, you know, I thought the doc scene was fun. It was sad because everybody died. <laughs> but it was um it was definitely suspenseful the all the stuff with um what's her name z yeah all the stuff with z was suspenseful and dramatic and uh her you know them trying to take out that thing and you're like kind of rah-rah as they as they take it out and that was all good the kid's story where he gets to be the hero is fun the you know, I always like walking robots or walking mechs or whatever you want to call them. Those were fun. So yeah, I was, I, you know, in the, in the whole chase of the of the hammer and it finally making it in and blowing the MP and you go, yeah, save the day, sort of <laughs> for the time being. <laughs> and then and then we cut back to good old Neo. And then we make it to the final scene. Well, okay, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, so they get to the surface, they follow the lines to the source. You got these big. If anyone's ever played the Fallout games, they're like Mirelark-looking machines that shoot basically cannonballs of Sentinels at them. Neo tries to blow them up, can't get them all, so he goes all the way up, or sends Trinity to drive them all the way up into the sky where they get through the clouds, and you see the sun, you realize there's clean air up there, and then they come crashing down. Yes. And then you have the Trinity death scene, mm-hmm. which I may be old and heartless, but I was just like, eh. it didn't feel it didn't feel (laughs) so then and then yeah neo confronts the source 
mm-hmm. which was kind of funny. It was like one of those, I don't need you. All right, then. I mean, I got nothing to live for, so kill me. Son of a bitch called my bluff. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Son of a bitch. These humans are good at bluffing. <laughs> Pretty much all we do in our spare time. <laughs> You know, when we're gambling, you've got nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah. Have you studied our history at all? Like, all we do is make up games where we gamble, and then when we're not making up games when we gamble, we fight actual battles, which are basically giant gambles. <laughs> <laughs> we may be a species completely predicated on the concept of gambling. <laughs> you live off of logic and mathematics. We have proven time and time again that that doesn't necessarily work in the real world. <laughs> Yes. I mean, you couldn't even figure out that you could have cleaned up the sky a long time ago. What? <laughs> Nothing? Nothing? <laughs> we didn't totally say that there were there was the sun above the clouds. I mean, nothing. Nothing. It's not up there shining bright. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> exactly. And then all comes down to the big Neo-Agent Smith fight. Yes. So that was fun, quote-unquote. From my perspective, it was sort of like a super, it was a Superman fight, right? Mm-hmm. You know, two super guys. And so it, it had definitely those fun aspects, but I, it just wasn't enough. And then at the same time, too over the top. And, and this is where, for those listening, you can tell we have fundamentally different ways of watching movies. Like, So for you, yeah, I can see where it wasn't enough because you wanted a little bit more in there. And I was pleasantly mm-hmm. surprised that there wasn't that much in there. Because <laughs> I was like, all right, here we go. Because again, PTSD from the second movie of this is just completely absurd and going way too long. Yeah, no, no. I, yeah, so, and then, and that's, that's where the too much portion of it, and part of, part of the way, it's like, it's not enough. Like, they're not, they're not really fighting. They kind of hit each other and there's some explosions and, and they have a little bit of the fight and that, and that's all like really good. But then, I wish there was more of it, but then, like, at the same time, there's too much. Like, the them flying in the air and, like, taking five minutes to swing around and punch him. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then that was another moment where I was like, is Neo not, you know, all-powerful? Because when Smith drives him into the ground and creates a crater, I was like, wait, why didn't he just do what he learned from the first movie, which was to just basically turn the ground into some sort of, you know, like, rubbery liquid thing and not have to be put into a crater? Yeah. (laughs) Again, we get back into the, how come Neo is not superpowered as much as he should be? (laughs) Right. And so, you had stuff like that, you're just like, but thankfully, the 10 million other Smiths didn't get involved. (laughs) Yes. That would have been awful. <laughs> Pretty flat out awful in every way because it was awful. <laughs> we already saw that, and it was not good. I don't know. I I think there may have been a way to shoot that scene in the second movie better, or to do that scene better. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there is, but it wasn't. It, they didn't do that. <laughs> Whatever way would have made it good, they didn't. They opted not. But a lot of the dialogue was fine. Uh, I mean, it really was kind of. I enjoyed it because you were brought back to the realization that Smith was, in fact, a computer program. He just couldn't conceive of the illogical. Yes. <laughs> you know, in the end, when he was, you know, saying it's not fair and stuff like that. So that was a, that was a nice, I think, uh, defeat of the villain. Yeah. No, I thought it was good. And 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 they got, you know, basically where they wanted to get with Neo, which was to make him an allegory for Jesus. <laughs> the sacrificing of the self for everybody else kind of a thing. Right. And that plays into the the concept of the one from the continuation of the control system 
where the one he lives, right? He goes back to the source and they restart the matrix and he gets himself some some women's and a couple guys and they go reform Zion. Um, and he lives like a king, right? <laughs> or a god or, or whatever he wants to get treated like. And in Neo's case, he, he decides to self-sacrifice, you know, he sacrifices himself and then blows Smith up from the inside, which I guess kills him. Right. And then that happens. Smith is defeated. So the computer being the computer says, I'll honor my deal. And the machines go away from Zion. The kid, you know, it's like the... I, th- I thought the kid should have been wearing, like, a Newsy hat. You know, he's just screaming, the war is over! The war is over! It's like, where, why isn't he holding newspapers? Where's his yeah. Newsy hat, damn it? Yeah. <laughs> he kind of had that with uh, uh, Morpheus and Naomi. Yeah, yeah, actually, you kind of did. Of course, though, they completely kept uh, the other guy out, so they, they didn't have that awkward moment of that guy seeing his girl neck another guy. <laughs> like, oh, snap. <laughs> You're still here, huh? <laughs> uh, you're gonna have to live with this. And all the people were already in the in the temple, so you know they were already there to get down for another <laughs> orgy in the center of the earth. <laughs> it's a it's time for the celebration orgy. <laughs> Bring on the techno music. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how you gotta end things when the when the war stops. Giant techno orgy <laughs> at the center of the earth. The center of the earth. That's Solid. <laughs> yeah, and then you see the little girl wakes up as herself, the oracle sitting on a park bench, the architect and her talking, basically going, hey, how long is this piece going to last? And, of course, you know, the obvious answer is as long as it's going to last. <laughs> yep. Yeah, she gives a very good oracle answer, <laughs> which is also accurate. <laughs> right. <laughs> Till a bunch of assholes decide it's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> So, and you get the the re- reiteration of, yeah, we're not humans. We're, we're going to stand by our deal. <laughs> and then a uh, little girl comments about the sunset, or the sunrise. You see Neo's body get dragged onto basically a Viking barge, and then the computer version look of him floating off into the city of the Source. Yeah, which I, I kind of got the feeling that he was going to, they were going to take him to Zion so that he could get buried, I guess. But maybe not. I don't know. And you get the you get the very animatic at the end where the little girl asks if will we ever see him again? Yeah, and the oracle says, "I think so." Which is kind of obvious because again, the program of the one, and you know, now the source is always going to have that program start, starts going down just to keep things going. Yeah, was it? And that is part of that's kind of a question of like, how does it continue from that point on? Do they like give people? choice you say you can keep being in the matrix well that was part of that conversation between the oracle and the architect she goes you're going to let the ones that want to leave leave and he goes what do you think i am some sort of human yes of course what do you think i am some sort of human so the real question is how many people want to leave and how many people decide to stay and and the other thing is you have like two things at play here so you've got like how many humans do they need in order to power the machines like when does that become a problem Right. And when does that philosophical moral dilemma for the humans start becoming a problem? Uh-huh. Do they finally decide, hey, maybe we can help you figure out this cold fusion thing. You don't need humans at all. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, hmm, <laughs> if they don't need us at all, will they kill us? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> they're machines. Because then they could go fall back on the Neo logic from the second movie. Oh, well, we just smash them. Well, then what would we do without them? Then we just build more. <laughs> we would just build again. <laughs> the circular thinking here. Yes, that's not. 
Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've also got the question of, okay, so if people can wake up and that's not a problem, you don't need a system of con- a secondary system of control anymore, right? Because the error that you were trying to solve for was the fact that people were waking up. And so you you don't need a one, right? Right. I don't know. How does that work? Like, do you still end up getting a Smith <laughs> eventually? And does something go terribly wrong and you need a Neo around to fix things? Because <laughs> I mean, the problem with a lot of this thinking is that there's some programming here, which means that when the rare engine says cause and effect, yes, but that's assuming that you know what the co- or what the effect is going to be. And yeah. programs, typically you do because you've calculated all that stuff out. Well, I mean, but hey, you talk to any programmer, eventually programs get sufficiently complicated and you don't even know that anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah, fix one bug, you make ten others because it's just how it goes. <laughs> and that is the end of that particular movie. And I feel we kind of went through that one a little fast, but that was because we had less complaints. <laughs> yes, far fewer complaints. They, hilariously, I still consider it the, the third in my my hierarchy just because it doesn't have... Like, the second just has such amazing action sequences. Like, I think back on them so fondly. And, and the music... Is so good, and then the third one, like I don't, I remember some stuff from it, but I'm not, not in the same way. <laughs> and again, this is, goes down to the fundamental movie watching and what you watch movies for. And I mean, there are certain movies I watch just for the action stuff, like Michael Bay movies. Why do I watch Michael Bay movies? Because explosions, and that's what I'm into okay. at that moment. That's what I want to see. I want to see gratuitous violence and explosions and witty humor, and you know, forget the world, you know, exists on physics for you know an hour. <laughs> you know, most of the time when I go to movies, I look for the story and how well do they tell a story? How well does the story capture me? And this one. I mean, I like the potential of the story. There was a lot of potential in there, and there's a lot of different avenues that they could have gone into that would have been really interesting. But it's one of those where the Wachowski brothers had an idea, and they just wanted to make the three movies so they can make their movies, and that was it. At least from what you read from what they were trying to do, it, it is something of a cross-genre between an action movie and a thinking movie. Mm-hmm. And I think they did both decently. Mm-hmm. And I think there were just some really serious problems once you hit the cross-connect point. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, when you make Neo a god, and then he doesn't act like one. Right. It gets it gets difficult to figure out what the belief is going on. <laughs> right. You know, as a, as a series, I enjoy them, honestly, quite a bit. And I enjoyed them when they came out. I still enjoy them now. Interestingly enough, my preferences didn't change over 20 years. You know, which movie ranked above or below or or beside which. It's always going to hold in my head as a classic from my time, you know, as a teenager and young adult. And it's going to be like one of those classic movies that I always think of as part of my generation. It is classic. It combines, you know, the... Camera work and angle work and it really brought in uh, special effects in a believable way, in com- computer-based or computer-generated special effects in a believable way. It was cool. <laughs> it had a, a very cool vibe about it. And it had the whole, you know, thing that's uh, very common in pretty much everything, every visual format today, is you have the music video thing going on mm-hmm. where you have a sequence of events and there's, you know, music playing and there's no words and it just sort of you know, plays out with the music. You you see that like almost in every episode of television these days and in every movie. And that was sort of a kind of a new thing. 
in that time frame. And I think that that movie was one of the pioneers of that, mm-hmm. in the, at least in the movie genre. Now, just thinking about all the, the cl- what we would consider our classics, you know, movies like, like The Matrix or Twister, even as, though it wasn't a great movie, it was still a good movie in my opinion. Uh, you got Forrest Gump, you got Michael, you got movies like that that just had a way of telling the story and the cinematics were such a way that you just always thought of them as movies. Yeah, I agree. Well, this has been Pat and the Fat Man. I'm Pat. I'm the Fat Man, otherwise known as Bruce. Stay classy. And so I'm going to say this because we're going to talk about this once we're done with the movie because we have to since it was released last night. But there was a moment in the the Rise of Skywalker trailer where me and Kathy both were like, damn. Hmm. I actually haven't watched it yet. Oh, okay. Damn.